0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm used to doing chapel masses every Sunday morning, two of them before I get here. And they're a little bit shorter than this today, but you're not going to be so blessed you're going to get the whole money. (laughs) And we got a lot of meat on the bone, so we might as well go ahead and tear in here. (laughs) I want to kind of start this morning, though, by asking you if you've not made the same observation I have in recent years. And that is that we have become a very excuse-filled culture. When I was young it used to be to say excuse me was a gesture of common courtesy. Today it's a method of getting around responsibility and accountability. And after two years of a pandemic That excuse rate has accelerated to the point where our excuses are almost at an epidemic level today. You can't get the supply. You can't get the product. There's always some excuse. As I thought about that this past week, I I started reading some writings from some people who had been studying this and keeping up with this thing. And I read this one story from this writer, who's a respected writer, I should point out. And he said, and I'm going to not exactly quote it, but this is basically what he said, our culture has declared war on guilt. Perhaps the most prevalent means of escaping blame is by classifying every human failing as some kind of disease. Alcoholics and addicts have a chemical dependency. Children who habitually defy authority are labeled hyperactive or having ADD. Gluttons now suffer from eating disorders. Even the guy who throws away the family's fortune to pay for prostitutes now is labeled as a sex addict. Friends, we've become an unaccountable, excuse-filled people in this world. We have. And that's something of concern because Jesus knew it was going to be a problem. It was a problem over 2,000 years ago great preacher by the name of Billy Sunday once said it so perfectly, talking about an excuse. He says, an excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Think about that. An excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. On a lighter note, though, this morning, since I've been kind of pointed out of the box here, you might be humored by some of these excuses that I've recently read in a Twitter poll as to why people didn't attend Sunday church worship. One lady said, well, my kids nap during that time. My answer to her is, well, just bring them to church and they can nap during the sermon like others do. (laughs) This was one that I had to really read to get my mind around a little bit, but this is what it said. How is this an excuse for not coming to church? We were out of peanut butter. (laughs) Well, surely that makes sense. I mean, we can't worship without peanut butter in our mouth, I guess. I I hope somebody brought some with them today. Or right, how about this one? My wife cooks bacon on Sunday and our entire family smells like bacon. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> here in St. Barnabas, we welcome the aroma of bacon and I like bacon. So if you want to make bacon and smell like bacon, come on in here. We've got a place for you in a pew right here. And I had, I had to go back to this one because I just have a hard time really understanding why this landed on a Twitter feed. It says, um, how about this one? I couldn't get the lid off the peanut butter. <laughs> now, who would have ever thought that peanut butter would become a theme in avoiding worship on Sunday morning? <laughs> but apparently, it is, or it has become. And finally, I'll leave you with this one. I didn't go to church today because I was constipated. Sorry, that didn't work for me this morning. I'm in front of you, so and I always usually am. Don't try that one with me. It's not going to go down with me. <laughs> All that to be said. And to make a point that we've become a very excuse-filled culture in this world. And in today's gospel, Jesus teaches us that there is no excuse, no excuse for following Him when He calls you in this world. So I thought about that this week. I, you know, I've had people come up and I try to move them forward in their discipleship. And sometimes I'll ask them, I'll say, well, can you think of any reason that you could give God this day that he would possibly accept for you not falling and giving your life to Jesus? Think about that. Is there one? The truth is, there is no good excuse. Absolutely none. Today, we are going to see three would be disciples are given a personal opportunity to follow Jesus. And as we see today, each one of them had an excuse. For the sake of those people in America that have to endure this tomorrow, at the Service there. I'm going to read this passage once again, beginning at the 57th verse. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head to another. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But he said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Notice here that Jesus responds to these very prospective disciples individually at the point of their, of their reason for not going. And as with other encounters, Jesus deals with everyone individually. And I think probably one of the best examples is when Jesus ran into the rich young ruler. You remember the story, right? The guy wanted to know what it took to get to heaven. And the rich young ruler, you know, he had all these um, riches and everything. And Jesus knew that money was the thing that stood between him and his commitment to following Jesus. He knew that it controlled the man's life. And Jesus always put his finger on the weakness of the individual he was confronting at that time. And guess what? He still does that today when you come up with an excuse. Jesus doesn't walk this earth, but he uses these people in this room and people in your life as instruments in his hand to have you serve. That's what he does. So when you say no, you're really saying no to the Lord. Jesus speaks to these three guys in in the same way because he knew their hearts. He knew the hearts just like he knows ours, my friends, and that needs to be repeated. Keep in mind the primary intent of this passage today is to clearly present the cost of following Jesus and what it really looks like and what it really requires in this life. We pick it up at 57, verse 57. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, right out of the box, we meet the over-eager follower. Most pastors would be thrilled this morning to have someone come to their church and say, I'll follow Jesus anywhere He wants me to go. They would probably plug them into some program or something right off the bat, right out of the gate. But notice here, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't heed this eager believer's words. He could see His heart. This first individual was impressive, or impulsive, I should say, but not impressive. Jesus didn't see anything in Him of value. Jesus could see through him like he always does. And he addresses this individual's urgency to jump into the world, into the ministry world. And maybe this first potential disciple had seen the miracles. Let's give him a, some benefit of doubt. Maybe he was part of the huge crowd of the feeding of the foul thousand. Or maybe he heard all the praise and adoration that Jesus had been given by the people and thought to myself or himself, man, that's the life for me. I want to be a part of all that. It's very possible. The sad truth is many who go into ministry will burn out and eventually drop out for one main reason. One main reason. They didn't fully count the cost of following Jesus. Maybe this man thought following Jesus was all sunshine and roses. I'm quite sure he likely thought following Jesus meant a crown, but without having to take up a cross. Having gain without experiencing loss. But as we see... Jesus enlightened him by saying these words. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That got his attention. Folks, Jesus never paints a rosy picture of discipleship and following him, ever. You won't find any health, wealth, or prosperity sermons in his ministry. But what he does promise is the abundant life found in following him. Jesus makes it crystal clear to follow Him comes with a cost for all of us. Jesus never said He didn't want us to have comforts or a good life. He just doesn't want comfort in a good life to have us because that's normally what happens. True discipleship isn't a feast, it's a fight. It's not a banquet, it's a battle. The banquet's on the other side. It will cost you to follow and serve Jesus, my friends. It'll likely cost you some so-called friends. So-called friends. It didn't me. It may cost you some hobbies. Probably hobbies that aren't that healthy for you, maybe. It may cost you some popularity. It might cost you some provisions. It might cost you a promotion that you've been seeking. But let's not forget what Jesus promised us in Matthew 19 when he said these words. Everyone who has left houses or family or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. Friends, that's an encouraging promise. And that's a promise that we need to be reminded of when we're following Jesus and it doesn't look like the rewards are coming at the moment. But they do. Let's launch back in at verse 59. In this verse, Jesus extends a personal invitation to this second perspective follower. To another, Jesus says, Follow me. Let me get you this text up here. Oh, hell. This thing will play today. And maybe not. Well, we'll do without that. You got a bullet in your hand, and I know you got this verse memorized, right? <laughs> <laughs> to another, he said, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now I probably should add right here the greatest. Privilege in this life is a personal invitation for Jesus to follow and serve him. And like I said, it still comes by name to each of you when someone asks you to serve. The greatest mystery in life is how someone can refuse to follow him. I can tell you, my friends, the detail, the day, and the time, and the place that Jesus called me to bring me to this pulpit years ago. I can tell you the exact time and moment in time. But to this second man in today's gospel, we notice he had an excuse as well. Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, we don't really know if the guy's dad was dead or not, but I can assume that he probably was not because in this time, people were buried the the day that they died. So if his dad had died, he probably wouldn't be in Jesus' presence right now. Scholars have thought about that and chewed over that for years. It doesn't really make any difference. When we first hear this response, though, from Jesus, it sounds somewhat... um, Reasonable from this guy. Well, let me just go home and bury my, my father. But Jesus' response was, let the dead bury their own dead. Mm. Well, the truth is, uh, dead people can't bury dead people. We all know that. So what um, he saying was, or what Jesus was saying here, is let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. You don't need to be burying the physical dead. Let the spiritual dead do that. What you need to do, young man, is follow and help me raise up the spiritual dead around us. That was Jesus' thinking at that moment. What the man is likely saying is just let me go home and wait for my father to die, take some time to mourn over, and then collect that inheritance that is due me when we bury him. What he's really saying is, you know what, Jesus? Not now, maybe later. I don't want to follow you today, but I might tomorrow. In that thought pattern right there lies a very important principle we need to touch this morning right here. Jesus not only wants our obedience, my friends, He wants our prompt and total obedience. That's what He's looking for. When Jesus calls us to do something, we need to do it immediately. Delayed obedience is instant disobedience. Hear that? Delayed obedience is instant disobedience. So the answer is to do it now. Has it ever occurred to you that if you take the W out of the word now, all you have left is the word no? Think about it. Jesus wants prompt obedience when he calls you. Folks, no matter what you do or how hard you try, you can't go but so far in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ Till you step into full obedience. That's what's required. That's why people usually never reach their full potential. It requires full obedience. And he wants prompt obedience. When he said to this would-be follower, go and preach the kingdom, Jesus was telling him the Great Commission right there. Just go and tell your story. Go and proclaim. It's the same role all of us got. We all got the same Great Commission people, every single one of us. Not all of us all have the same job or vocation or the same gifts. But we all have the same call to proclaim the gospel, to build the kingdom of God. Let me point this out. If you ever want to measure what your life in God's vision looks like, when you go to bed tonight, ask yourself before you go to sleep, what did I do to contribute to the kingdom of God today? (laughs) That's going to give you a measuring stick of where we need to step in to full obedience and discipleship in following Jesus. Then we come to this next follower in verse 61, our last guy. This guy has an excuse, and not only an excuse, but a condition. He says to Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus responds to this request right here. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I love that verse. I could preach on it from now to tomorrow. My dad loved it, and we heard it a lot as boys. Greg, don't take your hand off the plow. Do what I told you, and don't look back, and don't talk back. He added a little bit more to it than Jesus did. And so maybe sometimes some other words that I won't bring up today. In other words, nothing as significant as the death of a loved one. Nothing is trivial is a family gathering, nothing as trivial as a kid's soccer game or a ballet lesson, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, not even peanut butter or the smell of bacon, I should add, <laughs> is important enough to interfere with following Jesus. Nothing. It's easy to see into this would-be follower's self-centered heart. He says, I'll follow you, Lord, but... First let me, and then you just go ahead and fill in the blank right there with whatever you want. I'll follow, but let me, we all got, we all can put something in there, can we? I'll follow you, but first let me go back, go back and do something. Dear friends, our buts do not compute in God's kingdom plan. Now you can look at that little statement there from a couple of different directions. Your answer of but to him does not register. I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go back. just does not go down. The calling to follow Jesus never leaves a person where he finds them. Jesus' called to follow Him always calls disciples forward. It always calls you onward and upward every time. Jesus' response in this verse, like I said, is one of my favorite verses. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, anyone who ever plowed a straight furrow wasn't looking over the shoulder, friends. Don't look back. And I'm going to tell you something about looking back. If you look back, the enemy's got you right where he wants you. Because you'll look back and you'll find a reason that you don't think you can do what you're being called or called to follow Jesus to do. And the enemy will let you think, you know what, I'm really not equipped to do that. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You will always find something in your past that the enemy will use if you look back. Let me tell you something about looking back. If you look back, you're on your way, and you're into the, into the motion of a backslide in your Christian walk. Don't look back. Look forward. Jesus tells us, my friends, He wants us to burn our bridges, look ahead, and move on. That's what He's calling you to do. There's a true story of a well-known general who had taken his troops by boat to meet a large, skilled enemy who greatly outnumbered his force. Once all the soldiers had gotten off the boats, he ordered the boats to be burned. And as his men watched their only way of escape go up in flames, the general turned to his men and said, no looking back, we can't escape. There is only two options, men. Win the battle or die. They won the battle. That's a true story. Friends, if you want to live the life of a winner and you want to die the life of a winner, then you have to burn your bridges when you make your commitment to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it requires. What Jesus is saying in this passage today is you can't let anything, absolutely nothing, stand in the way of true discipleship. Nothing. Genuine Christian discipleship leaves no room for excuses, no room for compromise, and no room for half-heartedness. Have you ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something and you didn't do it? We all have. Have you ever noticed that just thinking about doing it allows you in some weird psychological way to substitute the action with an emotion? Have you ever felt better just because you simply thought about sending someone a thank you card even though you never actually did it? That prompting was saying I need to send a card to someone, but you didn't. And that's an example of failing to follow up the emotion with the action. It happens all the time. That's exactly what often happens. It happened to many who heard this call of Jesus to follow Him in the Scripture. It happened to all three of these guys today. But it also happens to people in this church and people in our lives all the time. Friends, faith requires action. Faith without works is dead. Have you ever felt the prompting of the Spirit to commit to a life of true discipleship? If so, why haven't you followed through? What's your excuse? Are you allowing the emotional prompting of the Spirit to substitute your action? Friends, the danger of doing that is it will establish in you a pattern of doing so, and you may never become the disciple that Jesus is calling you to follow Him and to be. If you ever sat here on a Sunday morning and been prompted to join a growth group? We tease it up all the time. Or come to a Bible study or been prompted to more fully commit your time, talent, and treasure to building up St. Barnabas in this community. Or has the Holy Spirit prompted you in some way to address some area of sin in your life that you just haven't fully surrendered to the Lord in His altar yet? Are you allowing the emotion to substitute your need for the action? Well, if so, what's your excuse? What's your excuse today? You can make all of them you want if it makes you feel better about yourself. But like Benjamin Franklin once said, I've never known a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. That one hurts, doesn't it? Think about it. We've all made excuses in our lives and made us feel bad, didn't we? We knew we should have done some action. It's never too late to do the right thing. Jesus will never give up on asking you to follow him. Friends, following Jesus comes with a high cost, but it also comes with a very high reward. And I'm going to leave you this morning with a true story which illustrates both of those points. In 1904, a young man graduated from high school in Chicago, Illinois. He was a member of the Moody Bible Church. His name was William Borden. William was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. His family were multimillionaires. For a graduation gift, his parents sent him on a trip around the world. He went to Hong Kong, Egypt, the Middle East, and all throughout Europe. William wrote to his parents on the trip, describing the compassion and burden he had felt for all the hurting people he had encountered for the first time in his life on this world journey. Finally, he wrote his mom and said, I believe God is calling me to be a missionary. In the following letter that she received, he wrote, I am certain God is calling me, and I'm going to surrender my life to following Jesus and prepare for the mission field. We and them came home and spent four years at Yale. He actually thought about foregoing his education and going straight to the mission field, but he wrote his family saying he wanted to be as prepared as possible. So then he went and spent three years at Princeton Seminary. While in school, young William gave over $70,000 to many different mission causes. That'd be well in the millions today. While in seminary, preparing to go on his first mission trip, William Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible. He wrote, no reserves. No reserves. William had made up his mind to live by faith and trust God in all things, and he was going to hold nothing back in his call to follow Jesus. After graduation, he was offered numerous jobs, but he turned them all down. He then wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. He wrote the words, no retreats. No retreats. You see, William had made up his mind to keep his hands firmly on the plow, and never looked back. After seminary, William went back to Egypt as a missionary to share the gospel. And while he was there, he contracted meningitis and died within a month. There are many people who would say, well, what a waste. He spent all that time preparing for the mission field ministry, and he died so early in his call as to follow Jesus. But that's not what William thought. You see, William wrote down his last thoughts in the back of that Bible. He wrote two final words in the back of that Bible under the words, no reserves and no retreats. William Borden wrote, no regrets. Friends, I've been following Jesus a long time. And I can promise you, if you will follow Him with no reserves, no retreats, you will have no regrets in your life. And you will discover in that the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. The one that He promises us if we'll follow Him like this. So I'll leave you today with a question. What's your excuse? If you're tired of making excuses, my friends, come to this altar today. And make this today, that you recommit to following Jesus at a different level. And find someone as an accountability partner in that journey. Me, anyone in this room, to partner with you in that journey. To live out the life of following Jesus he's called you to. And then you will experience exactly what this man did. You will experience a life of no regrets, because you gave up on making excuses for following Jesus the way he called you. That's what the abundant joy of having no regrets in your life is all about, fans. Because that's what you're here for, to love and to serve God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.